find that still surprising. Okay, um, yeah, interesting week. Not going to try to cover everything. If I did, I'd be speaking days, quite frankly, and you wouldn't want that. But uh, the first item um, I've got is the shock uh, resignation of Nicola uh, Sturgeon. She's the First Minister um, of Scotland. This is how the BBC uh, reported it. Um, and you had a series of um, interviews with people both in politics and out of politics, saying how shocked they were uh, about this news. Um, I can't say I was. Uh, indeed, if you look at this week's paper and our uh, perspectives uh, document, I think it's point 16, where we actually talk about Scotland post uh, Nicola Sturgeon. And I don't think that was because we are um, left-wing Nostradamuses or whatever the bastard's name was called, um, you know, some sort of um, seer. Um, but it was surely pretty obvious uh, that in terms of Nicola Sturgeon and her um, how should we put it, political programme, um, it had run out of a uh, road. Um, there was nowhere uh, for her uh, to go in terms of her pursuit of Scottish independence. Yes, if the aim had simply to be, you know, the, the first minister of Scotland inside the United Kingdom, um, if that was the aim, then then it would have come as a shock. But if if the aim is, and that has been the aim, that's the reason why the SNP exists, it's no surprise whatsoever. Um, so what are the factors uh, involved here? First of all, um, the unsurprising decision by the Supreme Court uh, to rule that uh, Scotland, that the uh, government in Hollywood um, didn't have the right to call uh, an advisory uh, referendum uh, on the question of independence. That was struck down and uh, the Supreme Court told us what we all know. Scotland does not have the right to self-determination. Uh, it's Westminster. Uh, the Queen in Parliament, I think it was now the King uh, in Parliament, uh, that is sovereign. And so in terms of that particular uh, attempt, it was uh, batted aside. Uh, this is after failing to persuade uh, the Tory government to um, give them another go um, on an Indy 2. Uh, the government turned round and said, well, you promised, I, Alex Salmond, the previous first minister, promised this would be once, once in a generation. It's also true if you listen to the rest of that particular uh, quote of Alex Salmond, he said, and well, unless things dramatically change. Well, I think with the Brexit vote, something pretty dramatic changed. Either way, uh, the Supreme Court knocked aside uh, any idea of um, the Scottish government organising an advisory uh, referendum. We also had the idea uh, from Nicola Sturgeon uh, to actually fight the next general election, one presumes, uh, in 2024, on the basis of that being an unofficial um, uh, referendum. Things don't look good on that score uh, either. All you need to do is uh, look at the Labour Party, and I'll come to the Labour Party in the second item, and uh, look uh, at its standing in the polls. And what we're told, and this is only polls, I readily admit that this isn't um, you know, what things are going to look like uh, in 2024. Nevertheless, what the polls are telling us at the moment is if there was a general election today, the Tories would actually have less MPs uh, in Westminster uh, than the SNP actually has today uh, in Westminster. And of course, what uh, this is uh, all about is a dramatic surge in support of the Labour Party, and that includes in Scotland. And what that could therefore result in is far from uh, the SNP and the Greens, who are coalition partners uh, uh, in government in Hollywood, far from them getting 50% plus, uh, you could find them getting 
minus um, underneath uh, 50%. In other words, if they're fighting on the basis of this is a referendum and they get below uh, 50% for pro-independence parties, well, what's the result? Uh, if that's a referendum, you've lost. And so you've lost uh, Indy one, uh, you've lost the attempt to have an advisory referendum, um, you're in danger of losing um, um, third time round. Um, so what else uh, uh, is involved? Well, I, I also think uh, that what's involved is Nicola Sturgeon's determination to remain within the constitution. Um, so hence all this um, malarkey about Supreme Courts appealing to the government, the Tory government, to allow them to have a referendum, um, thinking about how to um, play with the next general election. All of this is because Nicola Sturgeon uh, doesn't want to go down the Catalan uh, road. You know, in Catalonia, nationalist uh, regional government there went for its own referendum, of course, uh, other parties boycotted it. It got an overwhelming majority of those who voted. And then the uh, Spanish state came in heavy. Uh, people fled abroad. There were arrests, there were trials, there were prison sentences. Nicola Sturgeon doesn't want to go down that road. There are those in Scotland that do, but she doesn't. OK, so she doesn't want to go illegal. Where else does she go? I, I, I don't think she's got anywhere else uh, uh, to go. And maybe the last straw, and uh, I know it's been denied, but I, I'm sceptical about it. The last straw surely was, here's this surely, from her point of view, uncontroversial legislation, uh, the gender re you know, um, recognition uh, bill that they passed in Hollywood by something like two thirds uh, of uh, MSPs, and then it gets uh, Article 32 uh, uh, by the government. And it doesn't just get Article 32, i.e. Uh, we're not going to um, uh, get, get this, the royal um, assent. What also happens is there's a storm, a culture war storm, because you might have thought that given this legislation in Scotland actually is sort of broadly similar uh, to the legislation that was passed in Westminster under Theresa May, uh, it, it would just go through um, on, on the nod. On the contrary, uh, what we saw is Nicola Sturgeon um, roasted um, over this question. And what we saw is uh, the SNP's poll ratings uh, in Scotland. And I'm not saying poll ratings are everything, but it, we, what we saw is the SNP's poll uh, ratings uh, take a bashing. Um, so um, all of that um, taken together, um, I think explains why Nicola Sturgeon decided enough uh, was enough. Now, of course, what we have now um, is um, a leadership election. I don't know who all the candidates are going to be. Uh, the front runner um, is interesting, though, uh, and um, uh, this is the um, present uh, finance minister uh, in Scotland, Kate Forbes. And what makes her particularly um, interesting is precisely her view on the gender recognition uh, bill and associated um, issues. Um, all I needed to know is that um, Kate is a member of the... Um, Free Church in Scotland. Now, the Free Church in Scotland, um, I know all about it, not because I'm particularly interested in, um, you know, Scottish religion or the particular denominations in Scotland. I know all about it because the, the Free Church in Scotland is one of those denominations that denounce Christmas as a pagan abomination. And uh, you shouldn't uh, have anything to do with Christmas because we know, surely, we certainly know, uh, that this was uh, plucked upon uh, by the Catholic Church. I don't can't remember the date, you know, 350 AD. Um, they decided that Jesus was born sometime very near uh, the traditional Roman holiday of Saturnalia. And um, yeah, he was also born in the year uh, AD naught. 
um, well, uh, he might have been born in the uh, 0.00, he might have been born on December the 25th, but the chances are he was born on one of the other 364 days uh, of the year, and we certainly don't know that he was born in what we now call uh, naught. We don't know any such thing. And the, the, uh, what they call the wee freeze uh, in Scotland, along with Oliver Cromwell and, you know, uh, Puritans in the English Revolution, uh, it was for that reason that they banned celebration uh, of Christmas, because clearly it's a, a pagan a festival. But the real point, of course, isn't whether Kate will be celebrating Christmas with us all. Uh, the real point is that uh, along with um, strict Bible, strict Bible approach uh, to Jesus and religion and all the rest of it, uh, she also considers marriage uh, to be between a man and a woman. And uh, all of this gender recognition stuff, she hasn't got much time for that. So as I understand it, uh, when such issues came, came up in Hollywood, oh dear, I've got um, parental care to look after. Whoops-a-daisy, I've got a cold. It's that sort of politics. And as a result of that, uh, what we have uh, is the threat from the Greens uh, that if Kate is elected uh, leader of the SNP, uh, they will refuse to serve in her government and will therefore trigger, we would expect, either a general election or a new coalition deal uh, um, in Hollywood. I mean, maybe the Lib Dems, I don't know, the arithmetic. Um, it, the the SNP got, has got a near enough, near a majority, uh, but maybe there will be a general election uh, uh, in Scotland if, if, if uh, she becomes uh, leader. That's a big if, but she is the front runner uh, at uh, the present time. And one can certainly imagine um, this causing a real schism, uh, not only in the present government, uh, but in the SNP uh, uh, itself. So I don't know what her position is vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, legalities, the constitution. Uh, the only thing I know about her, um, I'm not a student of Scottish politics, as you can tell, the only thing I know about her is her religious uh, affiliations uh, and how that impacts uh, on her approach uh, to uh, politics. Okay, just taking a step back, um, I also think um, that while uh, the constitutional question in Scotland will continue to bubble uh, and boil, um, it's conceivable uh, that we've reached peak um, Scottish National uh, Party. Um, if that's the case, then what I would expect, and this is very speculative, I readily admit, what I would expect is the growth of um, different forms uh, of Scottish nationalism. So I'm not necessarily thinking of ALBA, uh, the party-led and surprisingly unsuccessful party. I was very surprised by the last Scottish election results. Uh, but this is the party led by Alex Salmond. Um, um, who seem at least to be willing uh, to go down a more unconstitutional, uh, more radical uh, uh, path. So that's speculation. But what I would suggest is that certainly conditions are ripe in Scotland for some sort of Labour revival, um, simply because if you take one of the biggest arguments in Scotland about voting SNP, and it's this, that, you know, uh, if you don't have independence, what you get is a Tory government. Um, that's been the argument. And that's been a very powerful uh, argument uh, in Scotland that's won over traditional uh, Labour areas to the SNP. So, for example, Glasgow, uh, historically uh, a Labour stronghold, um, Labour, you know, was decimated. Uh, in Scotland, especially after the referendum, and traditional Labour voters have gone over uh, to the SNP on an anti-Tory uh, basis. So in other words, if we look like we're going to get a Labour majority, and that's what it looks like at the moment, the chances are that that majority will be added to by a swing to Labour uh, in Scotland, simply because it's no longer a case 
uh, of um, the only way to avoid a Tory government um, is independence because Keir Starmer looks very well placed uh, to become um, Britain's next uh, uh, prime minister, presuming that Rishi Sunak lasts until the next uh, general um, election. Okay, so I think I covered that particular one. And uh, having mentioned um, the Labour Party, I want to turn uh, to the next item, which is the Labour Party, but in particular, it's Jeremy Corbyn. And here's another non-surprise uh, news item. Um, there's Sakir. Uh, we've just had um, the report of um, the, um, what do they call it? Equalities in Human Rights Commission. This is a Tory dominated uh, body now. It was established by the Labour Party. Uh, you can guess by its name that its original intentions were ever so nice uh, to go around and look for inequalities and uh, overcome nasty things like that, but in a totally bureaucratic uh, fashion. But having been captured by uh, the Tory party, no surprise, they appoint uh, its members. What it did is obliged on behalf of the Labour right, the entire establishment to discover, uh, lo and behold, that the Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn is riddled, was riddled with anti-Semites. You know, there they are all crawling about the place. Uh, and uh, Labour Party, you know, is um, not treated Jews uh, in a proper fashion and has got a serious problem of anti-Semitism. That was its first report. Well, that was no surprise. The fact that the Labour Party under Corbyn was willing to cooperate with this vile body of reactionaries and bigots uh, sort of slightly takes my uh, breath away. I mean, if you, you talk about, you know, handing your enemies a weapon, that's what Corbyn did. Either way, what we now get is predictably a situation where looking at what uh, uh, Keir Starmer has done, ignoring Jeremy Corbyn and his um, going along with the witch hunt, lo and behold, uh, the Labour Party is in a much better place and it's really dealing uh, with this problem in a very robust way. There's some way to go, but, you know, nine out of ten uh, was basically the judgment of um, the Equalities uh, uh, Commission. And Keir Starmer used that uh, report as his opportunity to make his speech of where he announced that Jeremy Corbyn, the former leader of the Labour Party, someone who he sat in the shadow cabinet uh, with, one would have thought a few times uh, a week, sat next to him in the House of Commons. He is not going to be allowed to stand for Islington North. This is a seat that Jeremy Corbyn has held for something like 40 years, because although Jeremy Corbyn is still a Labour Party member, he's suspended, um, I think, or is he expelled? No, he's suspended, isn't he? He's still suspended from the parliamentary uh, Labour Party. Either way, he's not going to stand. So. Um, in Islington North, uh, the membership aren't going to have uh, Jeremy Corbyn on their long list, and they're not going to have Jeremy Corbyn on their short list. Now, what Jeremy Corbyn does as an individual, I don't know. Um, he could stand as an independent. He could join the Greens, uh, but he ain't going to be allowed to stand as a Labour candidate. Now, will uh, the socialist campaign group, if he stands as an independent, go down to Islington North. This is a group of uh, supposed left MPs in the House of Commons, you know, with former shadow Chancellor John McDonald, Rebecca Long Bailey, their chosen heir and successor, Diane Abbott. Will they go along to Islington and campaign for Jeremy Corbyn? Will Momentum mobilise its membership? to campaign for Jeremy Cook? No, uh, because this will risk uh, what happened to Jeremy happening to them. And they value their careers, they value their career prospects uh, more than they do uh, their old mucker, uh, Jeremy, in the same way that Jeremy Corbyn uh, looked at his chances, which were nil, never, ever, ever had a chance of getting into 10 Downing Street, Jeremy, you never did, it would never have been allowed you know, 
even science fiction, you'd have to rule that out as completely impossible. Uh, this just doesn't work. Either way, he was prepared to sacrifice his old friends, old comrades, supporters, one after the other, dozens, dozens, hundreds of them uh, to this bogus, uh, this big lie of the Labour Party being riddled uh, with uh, anti-Semites. And of course, it's no accident uh, that um, the majority, or at least a good slice, I don't know what the statistics are, but a big slice uh, of those expelled for anti-Semitism, supposedly, um, or at least charged with anti-Semitism, because often the charges were withdrawn uh, at the last moment and they got expelled for bringing the Labour Party into disrepute. But loads of them, of course, uh, were Jewish. Well, that's no accident, is it? Because if you're Jewish, you tend to either say that uh, Israel is uh, one of my potential homelands, I can go off to Israel if things get nasty here, or you loathe the idea of Israel because it's a colonial project, because it's a racist project, and it involves the dispossession of another people. It involves treating Palestinians uh, in a way that Jews were treated in Germany um, in the mid 1930s, I'm choosing my dates uh, advisedly, and i.e. that Palestinians are subject to all sorts of discriminatory uh, laws and military uh, occupation. They're not being genocided yet. Either way, um, the point I'm really making uh, is that um, the existing Labour left will not camp for, for campaign for Jeremy Corbyn um, and indeed, the, the prospect of the, the, you know, the completely remote uh, prospect of getting into uh, number 10 also saw Jeremy Corbyn behave in exactly the same spineless uh, way. But of course, what we had um, from Sakir uh, was basically the message, not only is Jeremy Corbyn not going to be sta standing, if you don't like it, there's the door. And if you disagree with my politics, even though I, I campaign to be leader um, on the same politics uh, as Jeremy Corbyn's um, uh, 2019 manifesto, um, get out. That was, uh, that was the message. Um, and of course, this has thrown um, the Labour left um, even deeper um, into uh, crisis. And so I, I, I nearly turned off the radio uh, Radio 4 News at 1, um, uh, when they had uh, an interview with John McDonnell, the former, as I said, the former uh, um, shadow chancellor, um, an old, old comrade of, um, uh, of Jeremy going back years and years and years and years. And so John McDonnell comes on and I go, I know exactly what you're going to say. It's the same way I know uh, what the... Um, Equalities and Human Rights Commission is going to say, you just know it, and they come out with it and you go, yeah, 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 yeah. So what did uh, John say? Anti-Semitism, it was terrible. We were all guilty. And did you know uh, that even under Tony Blair, uh, the Labour Party in a general election campaign when Michael Howard, who was Jewish, uh, when he was leader of the Tory party, we had a poster um, that, um, that featured uh, Fagan. And this was terrible. I actually don't remember the poster, I have to uh, uh, admit. Either way, basically what um, John McDonnell was saying, and this has been his line all the way along, is there is a problem uh, of anti-Semitism um, in the Labour Party. And he, he, he's never protested uh, about rank and file uh, members of the Labour Party, uh, even prominent rank and file members of the Labour Party uh, being expelled. Uh, um, uh, under this uh, accusation. So, for example, I'm thinking of uh, the former editor of uh, Labour Briefing, uh, Graham Bash, who, yeah, just happens to be uh, Jewish, um, who used to feature um, a regular column uh, by John McDonnell. John McDonnell was the um, honorary chair, or was he chair? I can't remember, um, of the Labour Representation Committee. Labour Briefing is the journal of the Labour Representation Committee. When Graham was charged with um, anti-Semitism, when Graham was kicked out of the Labour Party, 
I didn't see John McDonnell on a picket line. I didn't see John McDonnell protesting. John McDonnell tends to protest when it's a fellow MP uh, that's affected. And even then, uh, the protest is very mild. And that's what John McDonnell did. He talked about the broad church and he talked about selection lists, how the left is excluded at the present time from selection lists uh, and how that is a bad thing. And I turn to Owen Jones, a former LRC member, um, a regular columnist in the uh, Guardian, darling of the liberal so-called left, uh, used to be a member of ours for about, I don't know, 15 minutes. I can't say I can remember him, uh, to tell the truth. My, I, I sort of blinked and he'd, uh, he'd gone. Uh, either way, I knew what uh, Owen would say. This is terrible. This is uh, Keir trying to eradicate uh, the left from the Labour Party. Well, perhaps. Um, but what's terrible about it is the left produces such interesting ideas, ideas of the sort that John McDonnell has been coming up with, ideas that um, some of us here will be very familiar with. It's called Keynesianism. It's called, uh, you know, job uh, creation, you know, through printing money uh, and all the rest of it. Uh, Yawnville uh, uh, ideas about managing uh, capitalism, uh, basically. Anyway, we also have, and I just want to add this as a sort of footnote, because um, I hadn't really uh, looked into this question, because um, I also read an article in The Guardian um, by um, George Mumbio, um, who writes very well, in my humble opinion, on climate and uh, ecological uh, uh, questions. I've got my big differences with him on Marxism um, and world government and stuff like that. But in terms of him being a critique or him delivering or being a critic, I should say, uh, of capitalism, he's very effective. Anyway, there he is. He's writing about the Labour Party, which isn't his normal subject. And he too is worried about the left uh, being purged. But his worry is, that this is a diversion and this will play into Tory hands. And he clearly wants a Labour victory in the next election to get rid of the Tories. Uh, but what he, he takes it for granted uh, that the Labour Party had a severe problem with anti-Semitism um, under Jeremy Corbyn, uh, but that's all being sorted out. So everything looked good. But what the Labour Party is doing is having asked the office, I mean, I have to get this right, Office of ICO, Office of Communication. Anyway, I can't remember what the ICO uh, stands for, but this is basically uh, the um, bureaucracy we have in Britain that looks into the misuse of uh, the internet. So, you know, you have to keep names private. Um, you, know, you can't let this detail away or that detail away without permission of the individual, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Anyway, uh, the Labour Party got the ICO involved in internal Labour Party affairs in the attempt to get three individuals in what used to be the Victoria Street uh, headquarters of the Labour Party investigated in terms of criminal offences uh, under um, information uh, legislation. The ICO turned around and said, look, uh, no, we're, we're not going to pursue that case. Uh, we're going to drop it. Interestingly, and this is the, the point of George Monbiot's article, is that the Labour Party has decided to go for a civil case against five individuals. And what George is worried about is that this will cost between three and four million pounds uh, to pursue. And of course they could lose. So the Labour Party could lose between three and four million if uh, the judge rules um, uh, against uh, the Labour Party. Uh, who are the individuals concerned? I haven't heard of all of them, but I'm gonna give you uh, the names I've got. Seamus Milne, I most certainly have heard of Seamus Milne. He used to be the business manager uh, of a paper called Straight Left, which was a faction uh, in the old official CPGB. He ended up being one of uh, Corbyn's key advisors. One presumes, I, I can't, I don't actually know whether he advised Corbyn over the anti-Semitism crisis. 
Um, he certainly seems to advise Corbyn over appeasing the right uh, because there was a famous leak. It's almost as if Seamus imagined uh, he was in Eastern Europe and he had the presence of the Red Army in, in the way that he sought to, you know, deal with the right. He was going to basically do some salami uh, tactics on, on the Labour right. So he had the, the ones that we can win, uh, the ones that we could neutralise, the ones that we could never win. Well, Seamus, you were proved to be a complete disaster because you actually didn't win anyone and you didn't appease uh, anyone. But what you indulged in is appeasement. And what you oversaw is the Labour left leadership purging the left <laughs> in terms of the Labour Party. That's actually the brilliant uh, um, result uh, of your approach uh, to politics. Anyway, Seamus um, is uh, one of those individuals named and blamed for leaking uh, the original report that the Labour Party was going to submit under Jeremy Corbyn uh, to the Equalities and Human Rights Commission. And this was a huge document of what, how many pages? 860 pages painfully detailing uh, the machinations of the Labour right and showing um, that the leader's office and the Labour bureaucracy under Jenny Formby, an appoint general secretary of the Labour Party appointed by Jeremy Corbyn, were not only pursuing the witch hunt, they'd even got it into themselves into a situation where to deny that there was a major problem of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party became an expellable offence in its own right. It was called denialism. And they were boasting in their report to uh, the Equalities Commission how many people they'd uh, dealt with under this and how they were uh, basically pursuing a rigorous policy and how it's the Labour right, which is true at the beginning, uh, that had been backpedalling and, um, you know, going slow motion because Labour right wanted real anti-Semites uh, in the Labour Party because then it could complain, uh, blame basically Jeremy Corbyn. And there might have been about three or four uh, genuine loonies. Um, either way, uh, what this report had is un, un, unredacted emails, and that's the point. That's what I'm trying to get at. So this is why there was a criminal investigation into it, which was then batted aside by the ICO, and why now there's a civil um, uh, prosecution. And of course, in English law, what we have is criminal prosecutions and in order to get um, a guilty verdict the jury presumably is a jury has to be convinced that beyond reasonable doubt this person uh, is guilty in a civil court you don't have to have that level uh, of proof so the bar is lower and the Labour Party is pursuing Seamus Milne, Laura Murray uh, that's the daughter of Andrew Murray another key advisor of um, Jeremy Corbyn, another um, former straight leftist. He's gone back, um, having um, entered uh, the Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn, he's gone back to the Morning Star's CPB, um, but not blaming his daughter uh, for that. Um, someone called Harry Habel uh, and Georgie Robinson, and also Carrie Murphy. Uh, these are individuals uh, that are being prosecuted um, in a civil case by uh, the Labour Party. And as I say, George worries that given the slowness of court cases, not only will the Labour Party potentially lose between three and four million if they don't win, uh, this will happen um, in the run-up to a general election. And George is worrying himself that this will look bad for the Labour Party. George, I don't think you need to worry. I think that this is uh, stuff that the establishment will love. Uh, not only do we have Jeremy Corbyn not allowed to stand, we have the civil prosecution of his, some of his closest uh, allies. Um, um, no, that's not going to look bad. That's going to look good. And quite frankly, uh, from Keir Starmer's point of view, um, I think that even if they lose, it would be, from his point of view, money well spent, uh, because what he wants to do is create uh, an ocean uh, between himself and Jeremy Corbyn, because although he sat in the same shadow cabinet, although he was appointed 
uh, to the shadow cabinet by Jeremy Corbyn. He basically wants to show uh, that he's completely disassociated himself and he's a different person. And so what you get in the British press is talk of um, Starmer being a chameleon, but not as a criticism, but as praise. And so what we're told by lots of wise bourgeois journalists is, well, politicians shouldn't have any beliefs. Uh, they shouldn't have uh, any worries about saying one thing yesterday and another thing today and another thing diametrically opposed to it the day after. That's what politics is all about. Look at Boris Johnson. You know, look at, <laughs> look at uh, uh, David Cameron. Uh, look, at, look at Tony Blair. Uh, look at all successful uh, bourgeois politicians. They're all liars. And we know that, uh, of course. So I, I don't think that this is going to be money uh, wasted. Uh, and indeed, what's happening in Britain is while the trade unions are reducing uh, their contributions to the Labour Party, uh, the Labour Party is, is finding itself uh, other sources uh, of finance. You don't have to be a genius. Again, I haven't even looked um, you know, actually at uh, um, the donations, uh, but I would suggest that it would be people who are called rich, possibly. Um, what other source? I don't know, but I would suggest rich people. Why? Because they expect favours uh, under the next Labour government, and that's what they will get. So the Labour Party is selling itself, just as Tony Blair did, uh, to rich people. And of course, most famously, uh, Tony Blair sold himself uh, to the Murdoch uh, press. Who knows about uh, Sir Keir and what the Sun and the Times uh, will be saying. Okay, just a couple of other points. I'm just going to put my light on uh, because the sun's going down. Maybe a sec. And I need to be able to read my, my notes. Okay, uh, this is just a, um, a little court case uh, I came across. Um, um, and it shows you the sort of nature when people talk about Britain being a bourgeois democracy, I go, well, yeah, we have won rights, we've won rights. Um, what they do is take them away. Uh, that's the nature of a bourgeois democracy. So it, it's, it's democratic gains made by the working class and the masses, it isn't something that it goes with a package called the capitalist mode of production. Okay, so there's a little court case. I don't know what he's up for, uh, but uh, David Nixon is up before Judge Silas Reed. Now, I don't know whether he glued himself to the road or to a picture or climbed up some um, motorway, um, you know, warning system. I don't know what he'd done. Either way, He's a member, is our Dave, he's a member of Insulate Britain. And uh, so he goes to court and uh, the judge instructs him uh, before the trial begins, um, Mr. Nixon, um, you are not allowed to mention climate, ecology, or anything to do with global warming. Uh, and if you do, um, I will uh, react appropriately. Um, our friend um, Dave Nixon refused uh, to comply with the judge's ruling and mentioned why he was arrested and why he's in court three times. Three times the judge warned him, Mr. Nixon, I have warned you. Third time, Mr. Nixon, I am sentencing you, get it right, eight weeks in jail for contempt of court. Because of course, what happens uh, in the jury system um, is that juries actually, whatever the evidence is, uh, look at the why and can act accordingly. And what's been happening as far as the establishment is concerned is a worrying thing uh, that juries, when they hear people from Extinction Rebellion, insulate Britain, just say no to oil, or whatever the particular campaign happens to be, juries have had a habit of saying, yeah, but this young man, this young woman, 
is sincerely motivated. They remind me, you know, in their own heads, I'm making it up, I readily admit it. They remind me of my daughter. They remind me of my son. They remind me of myself when I was young. They remind me of what I would do, you know, if I had that courage that they've got. And what they've been doing is going back to the jury room and voting time after time to let these people off. The, the, these people are going, yes, of course, I'm, you know, this is what I did, but this is why I did it. And so what we've had is judges. This isn't the only judgment, uh, you know, about contempt of court and you aren't allowed to say this and you aren't allowed to say that. It's, it's part of a general pattern. Now, I'm told that there most certainly will be a challenge um, on this one because I'm told, you know, people who know the law better than I do, that most certainly uh, this is actually illegal under, I don't know, you know, parliamentary legislation passed in 16 something or other, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know what's going to happen in terms of appeals, but I am saying um, that um, this is one of the reasons, of course, that we do support the jury system. I'll just give you an anecdote um, from my sort of um, back catalogue. I mean, we've had comrades on trial, by the way. I'm not going to give you the details of them, uh, but yeah, we've gone to court and said, yeah, yeah, this is what we did. And um, the jurors have come back and said innocent. But the particular one I wanted to give you was um, a famous case of two CNDers, members of the Campaign for Nuclear, Ar um, Nuclear Disarmament, who sprung, I think it was from Pentonville Jail, a Soviet spy called George Blake. Everyone thought it was the KGB because this spy got out of prison and turned up in East Berlin. Um, years later, this, uh, these two former CN or CNDers, I can't remember they're both their names. One was called Puddle or Puddle, I can't remember. That. Anyway, they wrote a book and they said, this is what we did. It was us, it wasn't the KGB. We smuggled in a radio. This is how we got George out. We put him in the back of a van. We took him over um, you know, in a ferry. We took him to East Berlin. He shook our hands and we said goodbye. And uh, there's the book. They went to the jury and um, they explained why they did it. We're not communists. We're just sympathetic to uh, George because of the terrible conditions that he was held in. They should have swapped him for, a, uh, you know, one of ours. Instead, they were out to punish this guy. Um, and the jury turned around and said, um, not guilty, me, your, your honor. Um, that's why. Uh, the establishment hates the juries and is doing everything it can uh, under legislation uh, that's before Parliament as I speak uh, to whittle away uh, at the power of uh, juries. So the danger is precisely with new legislation is there going to be offences that are not going to be tried uh, in front of a jury, precisely blocking the traffic, uh, you know, in, in, in terms of a protest, very dangerous piece of legislation. So they already have huge powers, uh, but they're asking uh, for even more. Okay, couple of other points. Um, Iran International TV has um, decided to relocate uh, to the United States. I'm told that um, Iran International, it's other, the other name for it, the more colloquial name for it, is Saudi. Uh, TV, because uh, it seems that it's the Saudis that actually pay uh, for this TV. It's a TV station that features uh, Reza Pahlavi and uh, the Mujahideen uh, and other such flavoursome uh, characters uh, as that. Never criticises Saudi Arabia, uh, uh, of course, or calls for regime change in Saudi Arabia, but calls for regime change uh, in um, Iran. Now they're saying uh, that this is because of threats. Now I'm told that if you're uh, a prominent critic um, of the Iranian government, it's the norm to get death threats. Um, that's just goes with the territory. Um, but what you get death threats from apparently is not only um, the, the, uh, the Iranian state, uh, but you also get death threats um, from the likes of um, supporters of uh, the Royalists and the Mujahideen. Um, either way, what we've had is a recent report um, from MI5. This is the internal 
Secret Service in, in Britain, saying that they foiled 15 attempts uh, by, um, how should we put it, agents um, of the Iranian government uh, to carry out attacks on its enemies um, um, in uh, Britain. Now, I suspect that there's um, some reality uh, to these uh, plots, but I also suspect uh, that what we're dealing with here is part of the general uh, ratcheting up of um, threats uh, that uh, mean that, you know, the danger of a wider war uh, becomes more likely. They seem to have abandoned attempts to um, do a nuclear deal with Iran. We're seeing the rhetoric ratched up over uh, uh, China uh, every day with um, balloonery. Um, and we're also, of course, seeing more and more weapons uh, plowed uh, into uh, Ukraine uh, to ensure that Ukraine cannot lose um, and maybe to ensure uh, that Russia loses in a way uh, that is, first of all, triggered by regime change in Moscow. Now, that's extremely hard to calculate and maybe impossible uh, to do, but that seems to be um, the strategy, which means that the West, i.e. the United States, is quite content at the present time to see thousand, is it, Russians die every day, a thousand Ukrainians die every day, or whatever the particular statistics are. Um, um, that is perfectly acceptable uh, to bring about uh, what they want to achieve, which isn't a lightning uh, Ukrainian victory, which I don't think that they think that they can achieve, but to grind Russia down in an unwinnable war. That seems to be the strategy. Uh, and it, eventually it's the elite uh, that rebels, they get rid of Putin, and who knows what other plans uh, they've got for a color revolution. But the general um, consensus seems to be that they want a Boris Yeltsin uh, back. Um, and you can see why, uh, because it is quite prepared to um, uh, see Russia or the Soviet Union fall apart, um, kleptocrats uh, to still uh, billions um, in assets and uh, take them out of the country to invest in Chelsea Football Club, um, you know, flats, uh, mansions, you name it, luxury lot, yachts, uh, and all the rest of it. Okay. Um, and just a, again, as a footnote on that one, it's interesting that the Americans seem to be at the moment when it comes to Iran promoting the Shah's son. Um, what a, an irony that is. So in the name of democracy, uh, they're promoting the son, of course, who promises um, to be a Democrat and a constitutional uh, a monarch. Um, but the reality, of course, is what the United States wants um, is a, a reliable uh, puppet uh, dictator and Reza Shah, um, Reza Shah, Reza Pahlavi um, is their man. Um, of the moment, how much um, the Iranian masses want uh, another Shah, I doubt it, uh, somehow. All the protests that we see, the very fact that they feature anti-royalist slogans after so long, I think is an indication um, of that. Okay, penultimate um, item on the political report, let me check my time, so yeah, I'm running out of time. Um, is the Northern Ireland Protocol. I'm not going to say much on that because we don't know what it contains. But the fact that um, Rishi, Prime Minister Rishi, has been over to Belfast and negotiated uh, with the Alliance Party, the Ulster Unionist Party, um, um, Sinn Féin and the DUP indicates that something's afoot. He says it's at an advanced stage. What we also got uh, today, I think in the Sunday Telegraph, is Boris Johnson, um, former prime minister, uh, remember ousted over Partygate and all the rest of it, um, him intervening and saying, Rishi, don't mess up Brexit. So what we have the potential of uh, is a, how should we put it, a Brexiteer rebellion 
um, in the ranks of the Tory party. And what we have in the press, I don't believe it, but we have various Tory MPs, ex-Tory MPs, um, journos talking about the end of the Tory party. Um, I think that talk is much exaggerated. The Tory party is the oldest party on the planet. And while it no doubt will get a drubbing, I, I'm expecting a drubbing, I could be wrong, uh, at the next general election, I somehow think it will survive. Either way, um, if there is a rebellion in Tory ranks against Sunak, uh, surely that's another nail in the coffin um, when it comes to the next general election for the Tories and another boost uh, for um, Keir Starmer, who of course will not be standing on the basis of reversing Brexit, uh, but making Brexit work. Uh, that will be his uh, slogan, i.e. nicking uh, the slogan of Boris uh, Johnson in 2019. And what I'm now going to do in my remaining minutes is to turn to some disputes on the left. And what we've had is some, you know, um, quite strange for me, um, goings on in an organization called Counterfire. Now, Counterfire is uh, a breakaway from the SWP. This is led by uh, Lindsay German, who is the convener of Stop the War Coalition, you know, but the million strong or whatever the figures were, demonstration in Hyde Park. And John Rees, he was the former leader of the SWP. And having led the SWP into the disaster that was respect, um, not because respect was a popular front, but uh, uh, anyway, I'm not going to deal with that. It was a disaster. The SWP claimed that it was being witch hunted. That's a lie, John. Um, it wasn't you weren't being witch hunted. It's just that you thought that you were more clever politician uh, than Bengalis or Bengali British politicians in the East End of London. They're actually what you got a lesson of is that these were real, really people who are rooted um, in their communities and you were rooted nowhere. Anyway, he set up this thing called Counterfire. And um, what we've had is an article in Counterfire by one Mike Wayne. I've heard of Mike Wayne way back because from my memory, he was a bit of an SWP rebel when it came to culture. Uh, uh, matters. And I don't know whether he got expelled or something like that, um, but this is a long, long way back. Either way, he wrote an article and it was called Liberalism's Hegemony Over the Left. And what he did there is attacked um, CRT, which apparently has got no problems to it, critical race theory. Anyone who knows anything about American politics will know all about that. And he also attacked the notion on the left, which we would have, not that uh, sex work is normal work, we don't take that view, but he attacked the idea that it's work. And um, he attacked the idea that, um, well, um, prostitutes should organize. I mean, our position is that it should be decriminalized and uh, people should be allowed to organize. But we also insist in our program uh, on measures uh, to actually help people out of prostitution. Uh, in, in the vast majority of cases, I'm sure there are people who do consider it a good career choice. They tend to be, you know, dominatrixes, I'm, I'm told, because uh, they get a lot of money. Um, either way, uh, we don't consider it just like any other job. But the point would be um, that uh, what he also took issue with, uh, with is the left's or the general left, this is what he's saying, the left's view of trans um, sexual rights. And what he's saying is, well, you can't just have a situation of where someone comes along and says, there's no males, there's no females, uh, you've got to call me a them or whatever the hell it happens to be. Um, I'm not having any of that. That's basically sort of his, I'm putting it very crudely. So apologies, Mike, I'm not trying to misrepresent you. Um, either way, um, they published this in Counterfire. Now, some background is worthwhile. Um, because what we had back in summer, uh, as I understand it, was an article by Lindsay German in Counterfire saying, look, this is my position uh, on the trans question. Um, 
I do have problems when it comes to people saying um, that um, the so-called TERFs are TERFs and they're bigots and they're transphobic and all the rest of it. But what I have, have as the biggest problem um, is no platforming and uh, people not having a rational debate. And therefore, what we're going to do in Counterfire is to actually have a rational uh, debate. So we're going to have uh, different viewpoints and uh, we'll debate this question out. And um, of course, um, I don't know uh, any more about what sort of debates, who, who they featured until uh, Mike Wayne. Mike Wayne is a contributor to a counterfire, so he's not someone that they've invited you know, on from outside their ranks, as my understanding would be. Um, but what we had, and I haven't been able to find anything about it other than in our own um, internal CPGB list, apparently there was a rebellion in the ranks in counterfire and someone or some group hijacked uh, the website and put uh, a notice up along the lines of, uh, this is a disgraceful article and we should support trans, um, um, trans rights. Okay. Um, since then, we've also had a couple of articles, first of all, in a journal called RS21, that's a short version of revolutionary socialism in the 21st century or something along those lines. Another breakaway uh, from the SWP. I'm not gonna bore you with um, the details here, except to say that this was over the Martin Smith uh, scandal, their former national organizer who was accused of rape. Um, anyway, they say, take it down, Lindsay, take it down. You shouldn't have this article. And what they had is an article by their editorial collective um, which said, well, sex is a funny thing. Do you know that some fish can change sex? Um, and that's certainly true. And um, I, I don't know, I think some reptiles um, can do it as well. And that just shows you that all this stuff about binary uh, biology, well, it's uh, far more complex than that. Now, my own view is that I think in 99.99% of uh, the population, there is males there is females. I know there's a group of scientists that want to get rid of that term, but there is male, there is female. Uh, there are some people uh, biologically uh, in the middle. Um, either way, the, the question is historically, what there's been is all manner of different sexual um, identities. You can call it gender. Uh, that is certainly extremely uh, fluid and that isn't uh, binary. Um, some people, yeah. Uh, on one extreme or the other, I'm very male, I'm very female. Um, others can be right in the middle and saying, well, I can swing both ways or whatever the hell they want to do. Um, either way, uh, they were joined by um, writers in anti-capitalist resistance. This is the Mandelites in Britain, uh, the followers of the Fourth International, I should say, so-called tiny uh, group uh, in Britain. They also join uh, with um, RS21 in demanding a closure. Um, and they, uh, in, in terms of um, Mike Wayne, uh, we also have uh, authors uh, boasting and um, saying that they are vindicated in their stance that this article should be taken down because at various showings of his film that he made in conjunction with Deirdre O'Neill, a film called Adult Human Female, uh, there have been protests from students um, from UCU, University College Union uh, branches, and um, the film hasn't been shown. Uh, my own approach, the approach of the CPGB um, on this one is we stand for freedom of speech. Um, sometimes this shocks other comrades on the left. Um, I'm quite prepared uh, to debate uh, with fascists. I'm quite prepared to debate with racists. I'm quite prepared to debate with opportunists. I'm quite prepared to debate with centrists. I'm quite prepared to debate with comrades, even if that involves uncomradely language, even if they insult me, and call me all names under the sun. 
we stand for freedom of speech and uh, we don't go along and haven't gone along uh, with those that quote, what was his name? The US radical judge um, um, who prosecuted, um, um, get my names right, uh, the US Socialist Party presidential candidate. I think this was in World War One. Was it Wendell? Anyway, Dan Lazar will tell me or Mike McNair will tell me. Anyway, the point is uh, we do not stand by the so-called principle uh, of um, uh, those um, people who, who shout fire in a crowded um, cinema or theater uh, should be silenced. This was his ruling um, against, uh, was it Debs, uh, the Socialist Party candidate? And they sentenced him from my memory, all from memory back there sort of thing. I think he got something like six years or maybe he served six years in prison. Either way, it was an outrage. This is in the middle of World War I and Debs and the Socialist Party were picking, putting out anti-war uh, propaganda. And this, is, this, is, this was the ruling um, of the judge. And that's been quoted to us uh, by people on the left. Now we completely uh, disassociate ourselves uh, from such an approach. In our view, this plays into the hand of enemies of socialism. Socialism requires democracy. Democracy requires freedom of speech. That doesn't mean it's an absolute uh, principle. Doesn't mean that, you know, uh, if someone was going out and uh, saying, murder him, murder her, here's the weapon, we go, well, that's perfectly okay because they didn't commit. No, I mean, we're not stupid. Uh, but is, as a general approach to politics, uh, that is something that we adhere to. In other words, if we give an example of our most recent uh, past, and I'm not going to bother with the Labour Party, but uh, an organisation that we were pretty much involved with was an organisation called Left Unity, which had a massive constitution, uh, which gave you rules of how you couldn't insult people, how women and minorities and all sorts of people had to have safe spaces, how they had to be protected, how you had to use very respectable language. Uh, we said, uh, to coin a phrase, bollocks. And uh, what was amazing about these people is that they replied in equal terms. And usually they replied to us, um, insulting us to begin with, uh, before we insulted them. But basically, yes, we conducted a long campaign and we defeated their constitution. I don't know how many times uh, amongst uh, the membership. And one of our main uh, question was precisely freedom of speech. Members need to have freedom of speech. That doesn't mean that members can't caucus and uh, can't exclude themselves uh, to discuss uh, amongst themselves in the way that they choose. Uh, but yes, in an organization, uh, members are given rights and they have equal right. And in our view, they have equal right uh, to criticize uh, as well as praise. So, um, yeah, we don't take the side of um, RS21. Uh, we don't take uh, the side of anti-capitalist uh, resistance. They can choose uh, what they publish. That's perfectly OK. I've got no problem saying we're not going to bother uh, publishing that. But demanding another left organization uh, take it down from their website, uh, that's a totally different thing, especially in the context of Lindsay German announcing a debate on the question, a rational debate uh, on the question back in summer. After all, we've had in the Weekly Worker an article I'm sure that some people will find very offensive on the trans question by Angela McLean. Um, you know, I, I don't know whether she calls herself a turf. I'm sure people who criticize her call her a turf. I have differences uh, with her article. But what we call upon these people to do, well, debate with her debate. If she's wrong, shoot her down um, in a polemic. Shoot her down when it comes to science. She apparently has a, a double degree uh, in biology. She knows what she's talking about, even when it comes to fish. Uh, damn it. But OK, so I disagree with her. Uh, and what we have at the moment, after all, uh, we don't know how many parts. I did ask him today. Uh, I suspect it's going to be five parts, because when Mike, Mike McNair uh, begins a a single article, I always ask him, 
yeah, and how many parts is your double page article uh, going to have? And it usually turns out to be five. So it's either going to be four or five. But that is a contribution to debate. And we're not saying this is a CPGB uh, position. We haven't got a position. Maybe we ought to have uh, a position. But our fundamental starting point uh, is rational uh, debate. And even if that involves some comrades losing their temper with Mike or Mike losing his temper with them or Angela McLean getting upset or people getting upset about Angela McLean and using intemperate language, so be it. Uh, we don't want a situation you know, like the House of Commons where you have to learn um, parliamentary language in order to insult people. I'm perfectly happy uh, with good old fashioned Anglo-Saxon. Um, I maybe use it far too often, uh, but I hopefully you, I hope I use Anglo-Saxonisms in a friendly, um, how should you put it, comradely fashion. But even if I didn't, um, we shouldn't have censorship. We shouldn't have attempts to close down other voices, not least other voices on the left. And it was, in my view, an irony uh, that RS21 uh, began its um, critique of um, counterfire with these immortal words. We are not used to criticizing others on the left. What a sad indictment of people who claim to come from a Trotskyist, Leninist, Marxist tradition. Everybody surely knows that Das Kapital, if you want, how many volumes? Four volumes? Whatever the volumes of Capital are. Uh, it's a long, long, very long critique of Proudhon and uh, classical bourgeois political economy. Um, and Marx had some really fruity jokes, especially in his footnotes uh, directed uh, towards um, his opponents. Uh, long live open polemic, long live honest uh, polemic that names names and doesn't hold back uh, in terms of using robust language, long live robust language.